Welcome to Fine Tuning with Drew Taylor, your one-stop shop when it comes to animation, news, and commentary. I'm Drew's co-host, entertainment writer Jim Hill, and this is our year-end show. Do you want to start off with Ralph and how that... Let's Ralph it up. Well, we were just talking about how it it has not grossed what they thought it was going to. Mm -hmm. You were the one that was talking about how how The Grinch now is the number six top grossing movie of the year. Mm -hmm. Incredibles 2 is obviously number three. And Ralph is way down at 16. So what do you what do you contribute this to? There are some some wonderful things to Ralph wrecks the internet or Ralph breaks the internet. Excuse me. Have you seen that they have just begun pushing a place called Slaughter Road for for the the best Academy Award song this year? Oh no, I have not. Yeah, that, that's amazing. There's a little snippet of it that showed up online, and I love that it is just such a wonderful spoof riff, whatever you want to call it, on the classic "I Want" song. When you think about all of the the fun stuff that we got to see at the D23 Expo back in 2017 that didn't make it into the movie. I mean, the bit about Snow White, I'm legally blind. That's you know, why she did her hand thing or, or that Princess Jasmine is allergic to cats. I mean, there there was really wonderful stuff that sort of fell off the table with this movie. And yeah, if you didn't see it in theaters, this is something you want to pick up on Blu-ray, especially if Disney includes a lot of the stuff that, that got cut. I would imagine the deleted scenes for this are, are going to be fascinating. Yeah, especially since so many of them were, as we saw, fully animated, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> you know, which is rare. I think that this was just one of these cases where sometimes, again, you have to be making the movie before you find out what the movie is. And in the end, I don't entirely think... They found the movie that was in there. I still like a lot of it, you know, and I still love where Vanellope and Ralph ended. I've got today's Wall Street Journal sitting here, and they were talking about how this was the year of the superhero. And, you know, obviously Black Panther did tremendous business, likewise Infinity Wars. But among the the superhero films they talk about for the year is The Incredibles, which Uh for me that felt like the safe sequel Right. Looking ahead to 2019, when you look at the reboots, the live-action Dumbo, the live-action Lion King, the the live-action Aladdin, and then we have Toy Story 4, Frozen 2, and I realize, again, these are good, safe things for the Disney company to be invested in, and again, it's a public-held company with shareholders and that sort of thing, but you were talking earlier about Netflix, yeah, and, and it seems like they could shake things up. Yeah, but again, of, of course, now the pressure's on for Netflix to actually deliver, right? I mean, right. we talked in previous shows about how deep their bench is right now and the talent that's on board there, and certainly there seems to be potential. Yeah, I think that that, that will be a really big question in 2019 is, is if any of these projects will actually see the light of day. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, we've talked about how Chris Williams is over there mm-hmm. and Glenn Keane and Alex Hirsch and Craig McCracken and James Baxter and all these people, but so far, you know, the Netflix animated stuff outside of the original series has not really delivered. I mean, I think Next Gen was probably the biggest Netflix animated film that came out this year, mm-hmm. and it was not great. I guess you could count Mowgli in there, but that was sort of a Warner Brothers movie before it was, was Netflix. True. Um, 
Yeah, I don't know. It'll be interesting, but I think we're both very excited about Klaus. Yeah, well, I've loved that project since the first pieces of concept art came out years and years and years ago. And yeah. this one, I definitely want to see. But, you know, again, it's it's always this dichotomy of expectations and what actually happens. And in fact, again, we were just talking about Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse's box office and People, again, are, are somewhat disappointed with how that seems to be performing, especially now in the crunch time of the holiday viewing period, where in theory a film like this should be doing gangbusters. Yeah, I, it's only made $73 million mm-hmm. so far, which is just, that's low. Mm-hmm. And when you factor in that the production budget was $90 million and that the uh, advertising spend was probably oh, hundreds yeah. of millions of dollars on top of that. Mm-hmm. It feels very much like an almost like an Iron Giant scenario where mm-hmm. animation lovers love it mm-hmm. and there's a lot of outpouring online, but the general audiences are just not going for whatever reason. And I think part of it was just how crowded this Christmas corridor was. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I wonder what happened exactly with that do you have any theories or have you talked to anybody who's who's got a theory about that one person i spoke with on on the sony side of the fence said that they're really going to continue with the best picture push or best animated feature push you know that they believe that especially given who will be voting for this film that they have a shot here and it's all about keeping it out there and keeping people positive about the project but it's like yeah we're we're disappointed, but we also believe that, you know, part of the problem is right now is that Venom was only just out, and I guess in a not-really-thinking-ahead kind of a move, the Venom Blu-ray DVD hit, like, what, two days, three days after Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse debuted in theaters, and it's just sort of like, superhero fans only have so much money in their wallets? yeah. Well, do you think that there's any way that this could be a a Lego movie scenario where, you know, everybody loves it and it's cutting edge animation and all this and then doesn't get the best animated feature uh, nomination? I don't know. The thing I think that particularly frustrates them is Aquaman made what Spider-Man did the Spider-Verse made all in one weekend, didn't they? Yeah. In hindsight, maybe bringing this out during the holiday window and as you said, during the Christmas crush was not the smartest move. Jeez, maybe we should have gone for February. Maybe we should have gone the Black Panther route, drop a superhero movie when you don't traditionally think to drop a superhero movie. Well, I, I don't know if we've talked about this before, but there was some kind of contractual obligation oh, God, uh, on that. Sony's end yeah. that they had to get it out before the end of the year. So they really didn't have a choice. And it, it felt like they spent as much time as they possibly could. I mean, when I saw the movie, mm-hmm. the final credits weren't even there that was a movie for press mm-hmm. so it, it was not even finished a month before it came out so this one I think there were a lot of different factors with this one in terms of why it came out when it did but it's just very interesting that it's not connecting like it should yeah I agree and, and again tears hoping that it gets one of these things where even if by the current yardstick about what it's doing box office wise that there's just the secondary market blu-ray dvd get the response that it's that it deserves yeah i mean i hope that's true i just wonder if that sony is kind of now infamous for uh announcing spider-man projects that never see the light of day and i wonder if those 
animated sequels that they've already kind of quietly announced will also go away in the wake of the box office underperformance. No, I hope not. Again, I love what these guys did. I love the look of it. I love the style of the storytelling. And I would really hope to see a deeper dive to this world. But pivoting now to 2019, and, and again, we, we talked just talked about you know the, how difficult it is sometimes to have an animated feature break through because you've picked the wrong weekend or that sort of thing. And when you look at all of the stuff that's coming in 2019, I mean, things like, well, for example, what we have two Abominable Snowman movies yeah. next year, right? That's behind Smallfoot. Yeah. Missing Link is April 12th and Abominable. And, and in fact, you came up with, with kind of an interesting little tidbit about that one what is it again about the oriental well, dreamworks or? yeah it was it was originally a project that was uh developed by oriental dreamworks which was the chinese satellite studio mm-hmm. for dreamworks and now it's not anymore but it is still a they passed off the animation to another studio but it's st- it is still a dreamworks animation co-production mm-hmm which is very weird. It's now Pearl Studio, mm-hmm. which I believe is is working on Glenn Keane's Over the Moon as well. Oh. Yeah. Remember that? And well, now Sony Pictures Animation is working on that too. So mm-hmm. it's going to be interesting. Yeah, it's a, ma- it's a quote-unquote magical Yeti story, but coming from a female filmmaker, which is good, a good thing, Jill Colton. Okay. But like you said, almost all these movies are either sequels, reboots, like an animated... Adam's Family yeah. movie, yeah. or based on an existing property like Playmobil mm-hmm. or Ugly Dolls. Or for that matter, Angry Birds too. Yeah. And then again, of course, that there are those films where it's, they're on your radar because they've been pushed out of their previous release dates. What is it? The Wonderland Project and, and Spies in Disguise. But again, yeah. as somebody who has a daughter who wants to be an animator or a storyboard artist, I, it's like... I want all animated features to succeed. I want these films to find their audiences. But, geez, again, in this Netflix subscription streaming service age, I guess we really do have to sort of step back and reconsider, well, what is the success in this period? What What right. is in this new age where you know, you've got a, a show like Hilda that Netflix drops? Or, or for that matter... Shira, right? What's a success in this age? Well, you were talking about how serialized these shows are, mm-hmm. and how that's a a key component to the success. And you know, we were talking yesterday about how Three Below just came out on Netflix, which is fascinating because it's a new animated series that is a sort of sequel series to Troll Hunters, mm-hmm. which ran for three seasons on DreamWorks and has accumulated a huge cult following. And that is a that is really uh, talk about serialized. That it's going from series to series, the same storyline. I mean, it, it's crazy. But you know, there's also uh, Ducktales, which I, which we are both obsessed with um, to an unhealthy degree. <laughs> if I could interrupt here for a sec, are you <laughs> are you familiar with the money stack, the blind box thing? Oh yeah, we've gotten a couple of those. Okay, well yeah, I'm sitting here with my complete set sitting next to a recording equipment and 
I'm almost embarrassed to admit that it was, again, my daughter Alice, the smart one, who pointed out that because they have, you know, the money stacks, you're supposed to use them as a bank. They have right. that little slit in them. And if you, uh-huh. if you hold your phone's flashlight feature up to that hole, you can look in and determine what figure it is. So that's why I have my complete set here. I was that very scary adult in my, my local Target wow. who was holding his iPhone, looking inside. He's like, is that a launch pad? Because I, I need a launch pad to complete my perfect game. Wow. I'm very jealous that you have the Darkwing. Well, again, I gotta well, say. Well, again, ironically enough, he's one of the easiest ones to make out because of his giant hat. So, again, Drew, break out the iPhone, look through the slot. Okay, I'm going to do it. And again, in that serialized Shira Hilda way, what I so enjoyed about this, now we're into, well into season two of DuckTales, but but honestly, I think my, my favorite episode so far, and it's largely because of a tiny, relatively tiny scene, the last crash of the Sun Chaser, was that... Yes, that was it. It aired on August 11th, 2018. And there's this scene at the end where basically everybody has left Scrooge because, again, remember the big hook for the series is what became of Della Duck, the the Huey, Dewey, and Louie's mom. We finally find out that she was test piloting a rocket and and disappeared. And the family comes at Scrooge about you. You let a mother go off and do this and how could you do this and there's this wonderful montage where you get to see what scrooge did to try to find her this blowing through the bulk of his fortune sending fleets of rockets out to search for della and you know and in fact his board of directors stepping in and cutting off his knees because it's like you can't spend any more money and i think you were the one who pointed out that what was so killer about this is that the and again it shows the love of the people who were doing the show it ends with a a classic pose out of one of the carl barks uh comics but with all with all of this emotion now behind it again it's just it's moments like that that really made 2018 for me with animation you know the whole notion that you could have that much emotion and again it's it's a silly little drawn duck but if you put the time in and you've watched the 12 some odd episodes that came before that and understand the significance of that drawing. Yeah, that was a really stunning episode. It was on again a couple nights ago and the writing is just so good. Mm-hmm. And yeah, to have, there's a great line where, where Scrooge is like, Donald didn't want me to to build the rocket because of the, the egglings or whatever. And he said, mm-hmm. so I did what I would have done, which is I built it in secret and didn't tell anybody. Mm-hmm. But then to have that whole emotional arc at the end is just, it's so wonderful. And I, I mean, I think week after week, we're very impressed with the the storytelling sort of bravado of DuckTales, but also how emotional and heartfelt it is, which is evidenced by the, did you see the Christmas episode? Oh, God, yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and again, I, you know, that that's one of these things where it's like, it's had me regularly checking to see, okay, when's the next one drop? Yeah. And again, that tells you effective storytelling when it's just sort of like, what happens next? What happens next? Yeah. And to pay tribute to the legacy of the character in such fascinating ways, like the Three Caballeros episode, mm-hmm. or to just have Rusty Taylor back to voice a younger Donald in the, the Christmas episode. Mm-hmm. It's just really... It's amazing how sort of enriched this new show is in the past of the character and all the animation that came before it. 
Got it. Now, now, speaking of paying tribute, did you catch the opening of Family Guy a couple of weeks back where Seth MacFarlane did, you know, did Peter Griffith paying tribute to Carrie Fisher? No. Oh, it's well worth seeking out. If only because, you know, the, the irony is a, another of my favorite pieces of animation of this year, the the BoJack Horseman episode where BoJack is paying tribute to his late mother, it's a free churro. They both use the same joke that, again, not, not to spoil it, but basically, you know, at the, the end of the Peter Griffith, we had a wonderful tribute to Carrie Fisher, the, the camera whips around and realizes that he's at the wrong funeral. And same thing with BoJack, only the difference is instead of a 30-second gag, they did 22 minutes before they finally whipped around and, re- you know, revealed that he was at the wrong funeral. But uh, in both cases, the BoJack one, again, is worth seeking out. Now, mind you, I guess it won't land as effectively if, if you're not as familiar with the characters and the history and that sort of thing. But it's this genuinely ballsy piece of animation in that it's just BoJack standing at the dais talking about his family and they don't cut away it's all on the voice performance of will arnett and some dynamite animation to tell this really emotional funny story that that again you know has this entirely appropriate for the bojack horseman universe you know tag gag for me that's what's wonderful about this particular moment in animation there is so much stuff going on from so many different people and more to the point i love that animation seems to be taken as seriously as it is i mean for example just yesterday i'm driving around listening to npr do an hour-long interview with rebecca sugar about steven universe Oh, wow. Yeah, and it was just sort of like, you know, cool. They were you know, talking about the ambition of that show, or for that matter, wasn't it terrific when Adventure Time closed shop and mm-hmm. how many people went out of their way to say, this was a killer show. This was... You know, yeah, and Rebecca came back and wrote a song for the, the final episode. Oh, that's right. That's yeah. right. She did. Yeah. We've sort of been circling the same point over the course of the show. It's like... With Netflix out there doing so much new stuff, it's an encouraging time. But at the same time, looking ahead to 2019, where I mean, again, don't get me wrong, I still want to see The Secret Life of Pets 2 and How to Train Your Dragon Hidden World, and I'll be there on opening day for the, the Tim Burton version of Dumbo. But there's a lot of safe choices. And yeah. my concern is with all of this safety going on with these giant films it just concerned me when i look at something like spider-verse which really rolled the dice and really took a chance and then people don't turn out and it's like god are we gonna just eventually devolve to all of these reboots and remakes and you know if we're looking for innovation we have to turn to the netflix that that gives you know the glenn keens and the james baxters and the craig mccrackens the blank canvases they're looking for or yeah i mean it's fascinating too with spider-man because yeah it is very experimental in in many ways but also is a proven franchise you know everybody knows spider-man he was just in uh, avengers infinity war which is the second biggest movie of the year after black panther and that wasn't even enough to get people to show up it's like what what does it take exactly and then you have movies like missing link coming out mm-hmm. from Leica, which is a completely original ip done in a kind of antiquated style of stop motion and it's like do these movies have a chance 
at all? Mm -hmm. Or is it just going to be that Angry Birds 2 makes all the money? It Mm -hmm. it just, it's sort of disheartening. No, I agree. I agree. And I get concerned that you look at what happened with Travis, who had done, in fact, it's been interesting for me, Kubu and the Two Strings just seems to be popping up on cable all the time now. And again, I'll be surfing and come across it. And then there goes 45 minutes of my life because this is a wonderful movie that I don't care when you come in. It's great storytelling. It's a great look. But when you look at the praise that Bumblebee has gotten and and that sort of thing, it kind of concerns me that we're going to lose him to live action sort of the way we did with Brad Bird. And and don't get me wrong, you know, that that from your side of the fence, especially with your Mission Impossible podcast, you know, it's it's like, (laughs) it was a good thing that Brad went to, to live action. Yeah. I want people who have genuinely talent and knowledge and skill at storytelling to stay in this space because there's so much stuff that can be done. But when you have these giant corporations where it's like, I want it safe and I want, you know, this is what the focus group said. They know what Lion King is, so let's remake that. Right. I want more innovation. But of course, it's ironic for me to say that and then have spent five minutes praising the reboot of DuckTales because, you know, nothing was safer than that. And But at the same time, you had the people who, who approached that project take a very, very different approach to the storytelling and the design and all that. So, yeah. All right. So it's official. I'm talking out of both sides of my face now, folks. So, hey. <laughs> yeah, it, it'll be interesting to see what happens in 2019 and beyond. You know, we have very exciting projects coming up like onward which we talked about in the last episode true true and things like that which are original properties done by the big studios Mm -hmm. but right now in the immediate future it looks pretty by the books although you know i'm sure some of these sequels will surprise us i'm really looking forward to the Shaun the sheep uh, sequel. Farmageddon, yeah. I Farmageddon, love. Have you yeah. seen the trailer? That the yeah, trailer. the trailer's so Killer. good. And more to the point, let's be fair, that, that you can, you do see studios learn. I mean, for example, for me, what's fascinating about The Grinch is to look at the lessons they obviously learned from their previous Seuss project, The Lorax, because The Grinch, in a lot of ways, has so much more heart and sincerity than I really thought, especially... You know, coming on the heels of the Jim Carrey project. Yeah, they, they really found the sweet spot for that one. But there's a, a, a level of trust in the, the source material that really wasn't there when Illuminations was working with Lorax. There it was like, I don't think we have enough stories. So, so let's find a way to pad this out. Let's bring in additional creatures and characters. And a lot of what made that, that story sweet and simple just got overwhelmed. Yeah, I have not I've not seen the Grinch yet, but I can testify to the Lorax being completely overstuffed mm. and unnecessarily so. Mm. Well, again, looking forward to 2019. One of the, th- the other things that makes next year looking good is your Mission Impossible podcast, which again is <laughs> It's called Light the Fuse. Please go subscribe and like and comment and we have some really good episodes coming up this week. The week we're recording this episode, we're releasing our the first half of our Christopher McQuarrie interview who directed uh, Rogue Nation and Fallout and he is amazing he also wrote on the fourth movie so he his his breadth of a Mission Impossible expertise is amazing and so I really encourage everybody to check that out 
I, I still cannot believe you, you snagged him. And, and I know. I can't believe it either. But I no, can't, cannot wait to hear those shows. And, and <laughs> you know, my side of the fence vote, I've got Disney Dish with Lentesta. I've got Marvel Us Disney with the amazing Aaron Adams, who also edits this show. We were just talking some Star Wars stuff, and I've got looking at Lucas with Dan Zare and Universal Joint with uh, Dustin Fuse. So... And, you know, we've got all sorts of those shows coming in the, down the pike here. So listen in those. But for now, again, it was a great year animation-wise. I mean, a lot of good product. Though, oddly enough, for me, most of the good product, again, was either Netflix or, or, or television. Mm-hmm. And, in fact, I don't know if you saw one little weird button note here that... Did you see Cartoon Brew just the other day posted what they believed was the best animated short of the year. And it's no. it's a commercial for Euro Disney. Or excuse me, Disneyland Paris. Oh, with the duck? With the duck. So Yeah. I guess again, to live in this age where it's like, yeah, that that's great work and it's for a commercial. <laughs> so I'm gonna shut up now and we'll be back shortly with a new fine tuning episode, folks. But for now, thanks for listening.